Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the bible says that he will take you from being a person who is spiritually dead to being a person who is spiritually alive and that he will be your god and you will be his people that he will fully accept you he will fully forgive you and he will never let that relationship change Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I love caregivers. So maybe we have some here. I just want you to give them a hand for the work that they do to help other people's lives be better. Their, Their work and their ministry is inspiring to me because the people that they serve, the people that they help, their lives are of great value. And I think it's a wonderful reflection of the love of God for another person. And if you were to ask most caregivers, they would say if they had the option of being able to care for their loved one or having someone else take care of them, they would choose to do that, to take on that burden. They would consider it a blessing. And at the same time, they can talk to you about enormous challenges that come with taking the, the, the burden of time, the burden of finances, the burden of loneliness, and at times isolation in order to care for another person. And they may talk about the emotional, the mental, and even the physical fatigue. And whether you're a caregiver and you have that opportunity or whether you just have a front seat to the suffering of the person you love, that comes with a unique kind of pain. To be able to watch whatever their illness is to become more debilitating, to see somebody live with chronic pain, and to feel so helpless and so hopeless to do anything about it. That pain will sometimes push people away from God. It will cause them to walk away and abandon their faith, asking questions like, why did God allow this to happen? Or why hasn't he done anything to answer our prayers for healing? And they can become bitter and turn inward to a place that becomes even darker and more hopeless. And and it pushes them away from God, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're one of those who has seen up close someone you love go through that kind of suffering, go through that kind of sickness, go through that kind of pain, then you can relate to the centurion in Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. That's where we're going to hang out today. Chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 10. This man who led about 100 men in the Roman army was influential and powerful in the town of Capernaum. He had a servant and a friend who was sick and who was dying. And all he wanted was for his friend to be better. But instead of that pain and that hurt of seeing his friend suffer, instead of that pushing him away from God, that propelled him towards Jesus with a belief that Jesus could help him and help his friend. And Luke gives us this story to show us that even in the midst of painful circumstances, that if we will put our faith in Jesus, then he will, he will accept us and he will respond to us. And he will even highlight our faith as a model, not only for others to follow, but he will also use our faith for the benefit of other people. And as we look at this passage, we're going to look at three steps you can take to have that kind of model faith that would not just benefit you and your relationship with Christ, but will also benefit others in their relationship with Christ as well. But before we dive into this, what is to me an incredibly interesting passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, We come to you as the author of life, as the author of salvation. We recognize that no matter what our need is, no matter what our suffering is, and no matter what the suffering is of those who are around us that we love, that you are our only hope, you are our only answer, and that you are faithful, you are good, you are working for our good, and that we can trust you to work on our behalf. God, we love you and thank you. We ask that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would stir us to greater faith. And we ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage, through the centurion's example, we want to see those three steps that we can take to model the kind of faith that would make Jesus marvel. And the first step I want you to see is that the centurion that that he helps us to see is this. Trust your friends to take your burdens to Jesus. So Jesus just finished preaching a message, and then he comes into the town of Capernaum. And this centurion with the sick friend who's sick and dying, he hears that Jesus is in town. And we'll pick up the story from there in verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built for us our synagogues. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. And they said to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not even worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. So in this story, the centurion never goes to Jesus himself. 
They never have a conversation. They never meet. They never interact in any way at all. But it is still the centurion's message that gets to Jesus. It's not the elder's message, and it's not the friend's message. And so basically, what this centurion has done is he has looked around at the people who love him and who care about him, and he has passed on that burden to them. The burden that he is carrying for his friend, the pain that he is carrying for his friend, the desire to see his friend made whole. He dumps that on his friends and on these elders, and then they carry the message to Jesus on his behalf. And so when, when they ask for healing, They're not asking for healing because they want the servant to be healed. They're asking for healing because the centurion wants the servant to be healed. They're doing it for him. And we can learn an important principle from this passage, and it's this, that we need each other to grow in our faith and to live out that faith. That God wants you to have people in your life who are close to you, who know you, who love you. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they don't care. They just love you. They are the kind of people who will not just, not, not just hear you when you share your life, but they will listen to you. They will enter into your suffering and then they will take your needs to Jesus on your behalf. And we can share those kinds of prayer requests with those people in our lives with the confidence that God will hear and answer that prayer just as if we had carried it to him ourselves. He has designed us to need each other. We cannot grow in our faith And have a model faith if we live in isolation as believers in Jesus Christ. It's only something that happens when we share our pain with each other. And then we take each other's pain to Jesus for each other. When I think about trusting Jesus and trusting others. I think of the story of Bill Irwin and his dog Orient. This story is incredible. I heard it when Bill first came to our campus at Carson Newman in East Tennessee. He was was an angry drunk for about 10 years. He went blind when he was 28. And instead of letting his pain push him towards Jesus, he let his pain push him away from Jesus. And so everyone who knew him knew him as an angry guy who drank a lot. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. 
one day he got tired of living that way. And so he cried out to God, God, if you will, if you will help me, if you will save me, I will do whatever you want me to do. And he meant it. So God saved him and he began to get these weird indications that God wanted him to hike the Appalachian Trail 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine. Rough terrain, blocked trails, hiking through rivers, up and down mountains. He said, God, this is impossible. I can't do it on my own. But finally, somehow God convinced him that this is what the Lord wanted him to do. And so he did it. And he did it with a seeing-eye dog named Orient. And Orient led him in about a five-month period from Georgia to Maine. And it was an incredibly difficult process, not just for Bill, who could not see at all, but for the dog. Because when you train with a seeing-eye dog, those, the, the owner is trained to avoid obstacles which would have been impossible if you're hiking the Appalachian Trail blind. And there were days as that dog was leading Bill through those trails that he fell 60 to 70 times a day. Fall after fall after fall, the dog just patiently leading him through the trail. In the month of October, they came to Maine, where they hit one of their biggest obstacles. Because the river was elevated, the weather was cold, it was in the teens, and it was a dangerous trip across that river. It was so dangerous that he feared for his dog's life, so he sent the dog on ahead by himself so the dog could cross and get to the other side. And then Bill got into the water. He swam down to the bottom where he could grab the rocks and pull himself across. In those conditions, underwater, how does a blind man even know where to go? Because while, even while he was underwater, he could hear his dog barking and yelping and whining so that he would know to keep traveling towards that sound And it was a few days later that his Sunday school class, uh, that his pastor and other friends met him at the end of the trail in Maine. Now, Bill trusted in Jesus Christ. In fact, he saw it as part of his mission to witness to everyone he came across on that trail about Jesus. He sent many of them Bibles. But he would say he did trust God. But he also trusted his dog. That it was that dog that God put in his life. It was that dog that God led that that helped him get from beginning to finish. In fact, he would say it like this. The dog followed God and I followed the dog. We see this idea of God using animals to, uh, to help people grow in their faith, even in Scripture. But the truth is, even outside of that, God has put people in our lives, and we do need to trust each other to grow in our faith. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to trust everybody. (laughs) 
in general, trust is a loving thing to do. But I'm talking about those people who are closest to you, who love you, who are working and seeking out for your good. To trust them with specific prayer requests that you can take to Jesus. That's what the Apostle Paul did when you look at Second Corinthians Uh, chapter 1, verse 11, this is what he asks of them. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So even Paul was asking the Corinthians to go on his behalf so that the, the work of God could expand to more people and more people could be blessed through his ministry. We should be praying specifically for Pastor Paul and that that mission team that's in London. That city is broken. It's in darkness. Satan has a stronghold there. And they need more churches representing Jesus in that city. And God's given us the opportunity to do it. And you can expect that they're going to face challenges, spiritual warfare, obstacles that may even seem like everyday obstacles, all working together to try and stop that from happening. But what we know is that even though they're in London and we're in Temple Terrace, that we can pray on their behalf and God will answer their prayers, the prayers on behalf of our church And we can see a church planted in London in 2020. We know God can do that. And here's what I would ask you to do to apply this step to your life. I would say, get those friends who love Jesus around you and who also love you and start practicing sharing your prayer requests to them in specific ways. What are your needs? What are you desiring? What are some real issues going on in your life that you need prayer for? Share it with those people and let them carry your prayers to Jesus and you do the same for them. And in that context, your faith and their faith will benefit as you see God answer those prayers you've taken to Jesus together. We need each other. We need to depend on each other and we need to trust those who are close to us to carry our burdens to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One, trust your friends to take your burdens to Jesus. Two, recognize Jesus' authority over life. Look look with me starting in, we're going to look at verse 6 again. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, Do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Right here, you you find the main core and the power of this passage. That in everything this centurion said, in everything that he did, he communicated the idea that he believed Jesus had authority over all of life. And if he had authority over life, then he had the ability to heal. Why didn't the centurion send for a doctor? 
I believe it's because the doctor couldn't help. And he believed the doctor couldn't help. Why didn't he send for a medicine man? Why didn't he send for a priest that would come from many of the Roman gods? Why didn't he do that? Because he did not believe any of those those things could help. What he believed was that Jesus was Lord, that he was God, and he was the authority over all of life, and he alone had the ability to heal his servant. And so he sent his friends, he sent the elders to communicate that message only to the person who could help. The others, they just weren't able to help. And then he wouldn't even go out to meet Jesus because he didn't believe someone like him was worthy enough to be in the presence of someone with such great authority and power. And then he compares his situation to Jesus' situation and basically says, Jesus, like, like me, if I just tell my servant to go do this, he'll do it. If I tell my soldiers to come or go, they'll come and go. They will do what I say. And I believe if you speak against this illness, it will do what you say because you have authority over it. And I'm so convinced that it's true that you don't even need to come and see me, the man, or come into my house because you can powerfully speak the words of healing at any time, at any place, and it'll happen. He recognizes Jesus's authority over life. You've got to be careful to make sure you're going to the one who can actually help you with your problems. And be careful not to go to the wrong person with your problems. When I was growing up, we used to play stickball all the time. After school until dark, all throughout the summer, it was baseball and stickball right in the front yard of Titusville, Florida. We played every day. And you would think that people driving by would look at me, my brothers, and my friends, and they would think something like, you know, that really doesn't look like a group of kids we would want to ask for directions. They just don't look like they would be all that helpful. And if they would have thought that, they would have been right. But still, people would come by and ask for directions. One day, this guy came by, and I stopped, and I talked to him. And I gave him directions and he went on and my friends were like, what, what did he want? He wanted to know how to get to the golf club, the, the golf course. What did you tell him? I told him how to get to the Kennedy Space Center. For all I know, the guy's still driving around. It's his fault for asking directions, right? Some people just aren't helpful. I don't know that Jenny or I have ever spoke to our parents about any of our marriage problems. I don't think. And there's a reason. It's because parents can't always be helpful. Now, you can't take that the wrong way. They're smart. They love Jesus. They give us wisdom all the time, and we listen to them. But when it comes to that issue, we know that a parent's first initial reaction is not to fight for the marriage, but to fight for their kid. You want to fight for your kids. And our parents are great at fighting for their kids. And if we were to do that, I believe Jenny's parents would probably take her side 
at least initially. And I believe if I went and told my parents that they would take Jenny's side too. It's altogether unhelpful, at least for me. We just got to be careful that we are taking our deepest needs and our biggest problems to Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of things that people turn to when life gets difficult. There are a lot of things that people will run to when suffering and hard times and pain comes. And some people run to alcohol. Some people run to drugs. Some people bury themselves in their work. Some people will run to their spouse. Some people will run to their children. But with those deepest needs the one person we need to run to we choose not to and that is jesus christ you've been listening to the barnabas effect with pastor paul purvis the barnabas effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement but it can't be done without your financial support go to missionhill.org and click on the give tab your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about god and themselves thank you for giving at missionhill.org and join us weekdays at 9 a.m for the barnabas effect with pastor paul purvis on faith talk am 570 and 910 